We are CEOs, executives, educators, and professionals from all sectors of society who support the global expansion of betterment in the world through joy and joyly. I'm your host, Cheryl Lynn, founder of the Chair of Joy Experience. Together, we have developed the World Council of Joy, and our council invites CEOs and innovators from impactful organizations to the Joyly podcast. We showcase how generous, bold, and fully engaged they are in their work and what a culture of joy is to them. Well, uh, my name is Frederick Conrad Volker. All of my friends call me Fritz. My close friends call me Fritz Cat or Cat. Uh, I don't want to delve into that too much uh, other than the fact that it references uh, the first triple uh, X cartoon ever made and produced, banned in the United States, became an overnight sensation, and the banner cartoon of the hippie generation in about 1970, and that uh, was called Fritz the Cat, X-rated and animated. Needless to say, I was, uh, uh, because I do have a twisted sense of humor, my friends know that, uh, everybody started calling me Fritz the Cat, you know, so I'm, I'm now kind of hung with that mantle, but uh, feel free to call me Fritz. Um, I started uh, at University of Colorado, uh, ended up there for about three years, Texas Christian University for two years intermittently, found my wife at University of Colorado, went on to University of Colorado Medical School, where I was there until the middle of my sophomore year, was recruited by uh, uh, Wall Street because there was a new uh, area that they had nobody uh, that knew anything about and it turns out that was my specialty to get into med school and kind of where I was going was called molecular biology and that was uh, really developed first program at University of Colorado uh, by Dr. Porter who uh, got the Nobel for uh, defining mitochondrial functionalities and under the electron microscope and he was my professor and, and anyway they were looking around uh, various Wall Street firms for somebody that could uh, get behind this new trillion dollar technology in the next 15 years. And I was referred to a company called Betcher & Company, which was the sixth oldest brokerage company this, uh, this side, well, actually sixth on the New York Stock Exchange. And uh, I was the youngest guy they ever recruited. They never hired anybody under 30, I was 23. And I they recruited me right out of medical school with a couple of other New York brokers that knew me, uh, had known me, fraternity brothers. And they enticed me with uh, uh, what they called Polaroid pictures, which are no longer around, but they were instant pictures that you could take with the Polaroid land camera. And they sent me pictures of uh, their $100,000 cars and their beautiful models they were dating. And said, do you really want to wait seven years to be a doctor and maybe get this? Or do you want to come now? And I was man, young in 20s and Wall Street new frontier of molecular biology and uh, I was going to go in and be going the underwriting department to take companies public and understand the technologies and do the due diligence and you know and eventually you know probably become a partner in venture company. Well I got sidetracked in the late 70s because Denver became a emerging uh, go public uh, penny stock uh, kingdom and I actually became a penny stock king along with J. Daniel Bell and uh, Kim Rust and uh, uh, Don Walford, John Barton, 
Anyway, we were the penny stock kings, bringing companies public at the rate of about two a month. Uh, we were all making millions and we were in our 20s, which I mean, back then was a lot of money. Uh, a lot of money. It's about 10 now. Um, and of course, that involved, uh, you know, fast cars, fast horses, and the women were not too slow. <laughs> but anyway, um, so then I got married, settled down. Uh, of course, all the success we had in the 70s was given back in the 80s because we specialized a lot in oil and gas. And oil went from $3 to $36 and then back to 6 And we realized that a lot of our success uh, underwriting oil and gas deals um, was related to a, one of the biggest commodity plays in, in, of that century. Uh, of course, when you're 20s, you just think you're smart. You know? <laughs> it's not a commodity play because I made all this money because I'm smart. But then when the commodity went back, oil went back to six, we had a lot of paper that went down the toilet as well. And so I uh, liquidated the firm, went out to Newport Beach, started another brokerage firm, First United Securities in Newport Beach, and we specialized writing industrial development revenue bonds and equity deals. And uh, made a lot of money, lived in uh, Laguna Beach, on Victoria Beach, Victoria Drive, uh, right not about 500 feet from Nicole Brown Simpson, and got to uh, walk by there and say hi to OJ every day. Uh, and Nicole was sitting on the porch looking out to sea and not paying attention to all these good looking dudes uh, that were, you know, walking up. But OJ was plenty up front coming down to uh, talk to all our beautiful girlfriends and wives. So, so there's something going on there. And then, of course, we know how that turned out. Anyway, uh, I, I was. Did very well there, except they plugged the hole Congress did in 88 uh, on industrial development revenue bonds. So our bond business, which we were making a fortune at, it's like shooting fish in a barrel, underwriting uh, industrial development revenue bonds for nursing homes and life care facilities all over the southeast, Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, Alabama. Um, and that just went away. And um, so we dissolved that firm and I went into my... In present company, the Venture Bank, which is a boutique investment bank. And since that time, I started uh, in 77, my own firm, International Securities, First United and Venture Bank. I've taken over 175 companies public uh, on NASDAQ, American Stock Exchange, uh, Canadian Stock Exchanges, London, Frankfurt, and the New York Stock Exchange. And I've had some spectacular successes, and I've had some goose eggs. And and in my business, you're only as good as your last deal. So frequently, it takes a year or so to, you know, get off the ground when you do a bad one. So the incentives are all there to do it right. You know, uh, and as we get older, we're, we're, we're you know, last ten or twenty, we haven't had any goose eggs. Cross my fingers. Yeah. Um, so we specialize now. Uh, I've done just about everything. Uh, 175 deals covers a lot of flavors. Uh, I now specialize in socially conscious investments, which brings joy, because if you can change the world through financing to the plus side, then it's good for everybody. And we make some money, mankind's better off, and we're doing world-beating technologies in half. We've got uh, stem cell cure for ALS that we've got going, we've got two cancer cures, uh, we've got all kinds of bioavailability uh, technologies that we're dealing with that 
are uh, going to allow farm, pharmaceuticals and nutraceuticals to get to targeted cell areas and things like that. I don't want to get too complex. Yeah. But anyway, suffice to say, uh, companies are successful. Some of them are just uh, rocket ships, actually. Um, and we're doing it right now as we speak. I got three deals in underwriting as we speak. And I was supposed to retire like five years ago, so it doesn't look like that's happening. I'm just finishing a book on Zen, and uh, it's an updated version of Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, which frankly was a bestseller, but uh, I thought the book sucked because it was supposed to actually bring Zen philosophy into the hippie generation and the consciousness movement of uh, flow of information from uh, Alan Watts and Babaram Das into uh, the consciousness, the new awakened consciousness of the drug hippie culture and the transference of uh, Eastern philosophy and you had at the same time the Beatles doing transcendental meditation with um, um, uh, Maharishi and you had all these, you know, the, the whole Indian oriental stuff coming in. This guy writes a book, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, comes a bestseller. I read it thinking, wow, that's cool. We can finally synthesize Zen, which I considered very important because I've been reading the original Leiatsu, and uh, who is, you know, six to five thousand years before Christ, formulating these great, uh, you know, philosophies that should be utilized by Western civilization. And the whole point of Zen is that it's all about living in the moment with joy because the moment is all you've got. The moment that just happened is over. You may have had a catastrophic moment. You may have screwed up your family, your life, drugs, this and that, but you have a new moment that you're in. And the next moment for everybody, uh, as it might, might have been Will Rogers said, we all owe one birth and we're all owed one death. And so there is gonna be a point where there is no next moment. So the assumption in Zen is, the last moment you can't do anything about, may have screwed it up, may have done this, may have done that. The next moment is not going to come. That's a guarantee. It's just a question of when. So enjoy this moment. Enjoy. Fulfill yourself. Make your life as maximally fulfilling as you can in this moment. Because that's all you got. In Puerto Vallarta, I'm sitting there having a uh, handmade cucumber margarita with uh, table side fire roasted salsa and guacamole being made in the uh, uh, stone bowls that the Mayans did and salsas and margarita and then listening to uh, one of my favorite bands play. Joy and happiness cannot be attained because if you attain it, the, game, the road is over. It's the road to joy in the moment that you're in that gives you the joy and the happiness because now you're experience and it's the process of experiencing if you have total joy then you have nothing else to attain life is for fun and the way you make yourself have a fun life is having fun in the moment and then when you get to the end of your life you have all those moments that you had fun and that is a fun life if you're in the moment and you are not having fun you have to recognize that you need to shift that three-dimensional gear of consciousness and put it back in the fun gear. And when you do that, all is good. Well, first off, there won't be a consciousness shift dramatic. It really is each person moving a degree 
or two. And if you can do that, it sounds like that's why I agreed to do this, because I thought that's the way you describe your mission. Uh, and it's just up for each of those person. If every, just imagine this, if everybody in the world, everybody, or even half of everybody, did one nice thing for one person every day, every day. If you multiply that on the scale of magnitude of what we're talking, mm -hmm. this world would be such a wonderful place, it'd be ridiculous. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.